0: Hi, you're listening to the We Make Media Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Derrickates. Hi, I'm here with pioneering technology researcher Carl Miller, the co-founder and research director of the Centre for Analysis of Social Media at Demos, the first UK think tank institute dedicated to studying the digital world. He combines data and analysis with immersive first-hand reporting. His first book, The Death of the Gods, The New Global Power Grab, was published in 2018 by Penguin Random House. He has written for Wired, New Scientist, The Sunday Times, The Telegraph, and The Guardian, appears frequently in the press, and speaks about his work around the world. I've asked him to talk with me today about synthetic media, aka deep fakes, and the increasing role they are playing in changing democracy and disrupting power systems for good and bad. Hi, Carl. How are you doing?
1: Hi there, Karen. Very good, thanks. So let's start with what exactly
0: synthetic media are and how they're being used. Um, to those already at the table, this discussion is kind of well on its way. Um, but I think most folks, uh, despite the growing ubiquity of synthetic media, other than the growing concerns of, around deep fakes, which is just one aspect of synthetic media uh, environments, the majority of folks remain unaware of its wide-reaching effects uh in our on our present and future landscape um, and and creative industries. So can you explain for folks a bit about the role of machine learning uh, and the genesis of generative adversarial networks or gans um, and what it all has to do with synthetic media.
1: Sure. Um synthetic media the, the term actually uh for me like brings forth all these really fond memories of being in Canada. So it was like shortly after my book was published I actually did a Little tour around Canada in uh, Halifax and Toronto and um, and and over to the other coast as well. Um, kind of doing a, doing a series of talks on synthetic media. Mm. Um, back in the day when we could still get on planes and still actually travel across borders. So it kind of reminds me of a kind of very very fun time uh, I had, even if the subject matter was a little bit dark. I think there's there's probably two kind of faces to this coin, synthetic media that that we need to talk about. Um, The first is technical, and and you've already thrown us into that with um, generative adversarial networks. But it's really kind of a a bundle of different machine learning approaches Mm. that I would say all have one key kind of implication, which is that they are allowing machines to learn more and more about what being or sounding like a human being is really like. Um, the kind of oldest version of this might well be the Turing test actually put forth by Alan Turing himself, which basically said that um, the Turing test would be complete when um, a machine could engage in a conversation with a human being such that the human being would not know that it was a machine talking. Mm-hmm. And we've got lots of different versions of the Turing test now. Probably the time when generative adversarial networks leapt into people's consciousness for the first time, if they ever have was when a series of websites sprung up, all using them in order to basically generate a faces of people, which despite looking absolutely, totally convincing, never existed. Mm-hmm. And then they did it for cats, and then they did it for bunny rabbits, and they did lots, lots of other things.
0: Yeah, and I'll include those in the show notes. They, those are really, yeah, this cat does not exist, and this person does not exist.com. They are... It, the uncanny yeah it's, it's really it's, it's it's
1: totally uncanny and and you know and and there, there was you know you know and there's a whole kind of like text based version of that which which is the same you know it's it's mm. gobbling up all your tweets and then sounding very very similar to you um that's the technical side of it then there's obviously a kind of political or even geopolitical side of it. And that actually was the main topic of conversation when I went went, um, across Canada, Mm. which was, well, how is this actually being applied? And the kind of fear then, and I think the fear even more now, is that what we will see is the application of these technologies, which are themselves are very naive and innocent, you know, a, a generative adversarial network doesn't know why it's being told to do something. Um, but we'll, we'll see them being deployed for basically political effect. And I think chiefly amongst them is to try and create a kind of series of reactions, either emotional or um, kind of political from a kind of watching public in order to get them to do something. Mm. So that might be rumour bombing, um, where you create a series of kind of fake videos showing a purported chemical weapons leak in a city, causing everyone to panic and rush into cars and clog the roads, whereas in fact no such leak has happened. Or with deep fakes, you know, the big fear is that, you know, a speech from a world leader will be created using them in order to, you know, cause a country to react in a way that the person wants. So that's the kind of combination of these things. Mm. And they, they kind of, I, I guess, fit into already standing fears that we've got about a world in the digital age hurtling to beyond truths, or into a world of fake news and disinformation and influence operations. And then kind of synthetic media is slightly further down the line. I always see it on the horizon as being a kind of a whole new layer of technologies coming online, which will just make all those things even more convincing. Uh,
0: you know, there's so many amazing, interesting things you can do with it. Like it's very exciting to me. I'm I'm a collage and uh a digital artist and I and I everything I do is made from something, not from nothing. And in terms of licensing that I can't afford or whatever for a little audio <laughs> clip or for this and that, you know, it's it's very, very interesting for listeners to put it into context because I know these are very like complicated things and because they reach society, politics. Though from a creative perspective, right, there they're almost these these um a way of wrapping a, one media artifact around another, right? And uh and for me what's what's exciting about that is that you could, you know, take an image of uh uh of a painting of a cat and and wrap it around a footage of a lion and make this, you know, this painting of this cat kind of roar or or kind of, you know, or or physically make digital 3d assets move by attaching um by 3d scan or sensor based uh you know knowledge of you know mapping or whatever so they can be used in kind of xr experiences as uh, almost a human mouse uh or stylus uh um, and, and also, as we know from face uh, swap, they can be used to kind of swap two pieces, one aspect of two different pieces of, of media, and they're rather they their content generated from the zillion points of data that we've been feeding to the network for 50 some years but of course as you as you referred to the most nefarious uh, the, the biggest fear is the is the use uh, by nefarious forces and bad actors um that could kind of potentially you know put the final nail in the coffin of any concept of truth or fact or shared reality is that about right I mean tell us the doomsday tell us the doomsday report from the future like what are the what are the sort of worst we've seen so far um and where are deep fakes you know what are what are the very valid concerns of where we're gonna be soon um with the deep fakes and then we'll try to be positive' we'll, we'll try to find
1: something <laughs> well there's a, there's actually this kind of like fascinating link between kind of um, online artistic installations that often deploy these technologies in like a surrealist or like a wistful or outrightly poetic and beautiful way. And then unfortunately a kind of weaponization that happens it was exactly the same with um bots on twitter mm. now quite an outmoded weapon in the information war but but i i remember probably back in 2014 20, 2015 20, becoming really interested in like automated accounts mm. um and and back then it was this like strange niche thing that, that these like digital installation artists were doing where they would kind of set up a twitter account and it would um you know uh, be linked to you know a a a pressure panel in a road and would tweet to complain about potholes or it would gobble up three different poems and combine them together in a really interesting way or or give you a really surreal response to a question that you asked and they kind of just you know they weren't actually even against twitter's rules twitter quite liked having those things on there because it was a kind of new interesting use of the platform Mm. and i remember building my own Trying to tell people to not be Nazis online, or or to call each other Nazis online as well, because I thought Reductio ad in my book was called. Cool. <laughs> and then kind of two, uh, and then a couple of years later, um, I, I, it was already clear actually at that point that they would have political uses as well. Mm. The fact that they were tireless, the fact that they could act in incredible volumes and the fact that you could set one person could set up just an arbitrary number of these things Mm. to kind of emulate a crowd all of them clearly had i mean i thought at that point kind of campaign rather than kind of warfare uses to be honest but i thought these things will certainly be picked up by political campaigns around the world and then a couple of years later you know 2016 you know russia and the 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 election of donald trump um you know there is this huge um kind of global attention on bots basically as a a kind of minion of Russia, uh, and and you know the fact that they'd been used to create these fake crowds online, the fact that there were potentially tens of thousands of them, that they probably were awash all the other different platforms as well. You know, it was it, they they'd been moved from the, being this kind of wishful, playful, artistic plaything into in, in into a strange new kind of geopolitical confrontation. Mm. And Karen, the, the key idea here, really, and the, the, I'll give you the doomsday scenario, not as a Um, as as a picture, but as an idea, which I sadly think is going to come to increasingly dominate a lot of the conflicts which human beings have, Mm. is information warfare. Now, if you look back to about that time, about 2013, 2014, militaries around the world were all basically reconceiving of what warfare really was. Mm. They were all asking themselves the same question, which was, we now live in the information age. Um, what in the information age is the role of militaries? You know, really deep questions to do with why they existed. Mm. And they all basically had the same answer. And it, it didn't ma- matter whether you were a liberal democratic military or an autocratic one, whether you were Canada, the UK, Russia, uh, NATO, whoever. Basically all everyone, like a stack of dominoes, mm. all reconceived warfare in a really, really, really important way. They all had previously seen information as a tool of war for sure it's been used like that in that way for thousands of years you've written the fake letter to get the the army to try and leave the castle that you're besieging that stuff has always been the Mm. case but all of them did this like crucial conceptual pivot they all saw information not as being a tool of war but being a space that war happened within. Mm. That was the crucial thing. So they saw it as a theatre of war. Mm. So air, sea, land, space, and now information. So, you know, suddenly you had all this language about information manoeuvre, information dominance, mimetic weaponry, uh, full-spectrum operations, behavioural-centric warfare. You know, basically they, they, they said warfare's ultimate aim is to get people to either act or not act in a certain way like through a panoply of different mechanisms, including force. Mm. Information is one of the ways in which that will, that conflict will be fought. So that's a doomsday scenario, is that what we're seeing now is that idea kind of taking through and running um, and speeding up and basically becoming the principal domain of human conflict. Um, and all of our wistful, wonderful uh, Twitter bots and other forms of digital art and the tools like, Generative adversarial networks and the way they're being deployed are all going to become wrapped up in an informational conflict which many more people than states will be fighting within you know we've you know i mean what we're seeing in the states at the moment what we saw throughout the entire campaign was the alt-right and other extremists deploying very deliberately informational warfare doctrines to try and have effects
0: what's scary too is that i don't know how how the the systems that we've built if they i saw the video of you speaking with the police uh the police board or the you know they must have thought you were an alien i mean other than like the small the small you know the small group like working in cybers i'm sure a lot of people were like i didn't sign up for this is not the profession when i wanted to grow up and be a police officer it's not like you know, understanding these environments, it's its like, you know, going and ticketing people and, you know, being a part of the community. And I'm sure there's plenty of cutting edge, uh, you know, individuals uh, in the field, but it seems we've got a lot of catching up.
1: A lot of my job over the last, uh, over the last kind of four or five years has been basically this kind of tour of lots of institutions telling them how the the, the rug is being pull, pulled out from under their feet and that they're far less powerful than they thought they were and unless kind of fundamental reform happens, we're hurtling into a world of calamity. Um, sometimes that's listened to in some way, like part time, sometimes it isn't. I mean, with the police, the, 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 message, uh, the, the message that I've been trying to get into police forces around the world for ages is that we are living through the worst crisis of law enforcement in the history of modern policing because half of crime now happens on the internet. And the way the police are set up is the opposite of the way they need to be set up to police the internet. Mm. In the UK, it's called Peel. The Peelian system of policing is, is, is it's, it's a, it's a very enlightened idea. You know, it, it's the absolute core of how modern policing works, which is that the police come out of the community, mm. they, they, they police their own community, and they police with the consent of that community. The Consensus-based policing in the UK, that's why we don't have military helmets here. That's why the police don't, aren't armed. It's why they walk around in their community while we have local, such an emphasis on local policing. Mm. And, you know, for the internet, that none of that works anymore at all. Like, what, what's the community that you're policing online? What's the consent that the online community has given to you? I mean, you know, and local police forces are the opposite way of dealing with a fundamentally, like, a geographic thing such as the internet. Likewise, the military, really, so... And um, if you go to a liberal democratic military, either in the UK or Canada, and say, the domain of war that's now got the most energy and changing the quickest is information, mm. a lot of them have been brought up on this, like very, again, a very important fundamental idea that it is not the role of a liberal democratic military to muck around in a free press. Like, you just, you just don't do it. I mean, you don't, you don't intervene informationally that's not the role you know that that's what that's what the autocrats do that's what the communists did that's not what we do in the west and it's a very difficult conversation to have because you end up basically saying things like i think militaries should write a rules of engagement for informational conflict yeah it's very it's very interesting it's a slippery slope it's an extremely slippery slope and unless it's done in the right way it, it will lead us to cr- emulating you know, oppressive autocratic regimes around the world in ways we don't want to. Yeah, and
0: they're valid critiques or pushback, but at the same time, like, we know with the speed of which that everything's, you know, it's like when, once information has been weaponized to ignore it, it's just like, ignore the terrorist, like, in the waiting room or whatever, you know, it's like, I <laughs> yeah. and, like it's yeah. not going to... Um, but let's talk about some other facets of uh, of syn- synthetic media, other than you know we kind of talked about the technology and the way that it's you know creating like it's machines creating content, but also there's so many other aspects that you talk about in terms of the s- synthetic that contribute to the synthetic uh, uh media landscape, um, and kind of like cr- creating a synthetic virility, like you know I've, I, like a uh, one of the things I've but now I feel like after reading your stuff, like maybe it's, I'm wrong, but I always thought it was exciting that like, you know, companies will sometimes kind of like corporations will try to ride a hashtag or a certain trend and it doesn't work very well. You know, it's inorganic and you know, what goes viral tends to be um, kind of human led, you know, whether it's, you know, from, from rage or, or hate or otherwise. But looking at your stuff, that's not true. So there's a lot of synthetic (sighs) popularity. I mean, they seem to really have gotten the equation of like how to make something viral, Um, you know, and it comes from, as you talked about, the mimetic roots of, of 4chan and people very specifically saying, yes, okay, how can we actually affect life online? So can you talk about the role of Synthetic popularity What is that? Journalism And what is it called? Ideation
1: Ideational diffusion
0: Ideational diffusion So basically How ideas spread
1: Ideas spread Yeah It's a posh researcher Term for ideas spreading Like on any forum but especially online of course yeah this is a kind of layer of of kind of um i suppose it's a different kind of lie that can be told Mm. which is um not the not the content itself but everything that we then receive that content with an eye to um is is also part of the story so and the most important one is the one you've just you've just put on the table karen which is that Mm. it's possible to make things appear kind of much more popular than they really are, and and I think this was actually the function of a lot of these automated accounts was was not actually to um you know to 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 spread the material per se, but but to cr- to kind of emulate the crowd reaction to the material. So to make something appear like it's got this big, you know, wellspring of support and mm. and 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 um you know uh, kind of all these d- d- echoing entirely fake digital cheers that you can surround it with. The virality as as a particular force, I think, is also subject to this kind of manipulation. Now, virality—I'm I'm endlessly fascinated with. Um, it was going to be the subject of my first book, in fact. Hmm. Uh, I still think that I should have—I should have written that book. Um, but you know, <laughs> it, it's it, virality being this kind of invisible force that kind of determines that some messages become unbelievably powerful, potent, visible things online, and almost everything else actually dies out. And most of the time, we're shouting into a digital void that can't even hear us at all. Hmm. And it looks so organic, but I went to a whole series of different viral advertising studios. It turns out that London's one of the kind of viral advertising, I didn't even know that was an industry, capitals of the world. And, you know, they all exist in order to, you know, very deliberately and reliably make some things go viral and not other things. Mm. Viral advertising is, is entirely predicated on, on, the, on the kind of seeming construction of this apparent organic thing, you know, thing that comes out of nowhere, but it's not. And a lot of it isn't really kind of like you know uh kind of dark magic of any kind it's it's just um it's two it's two main forces really. Mm. It's about sculpting the idea to cut away what they call ballast. I learned. so anything that isn't the core of the idea itself, any complexity, any anything which can like weigh the idea down by making it more complex. Um or basically, by acting as a barrier between it and it making an extremely powerful emotional reaction in us, that's really what you need the idea to do
0: so remove any complication or nuance to of an issue, yeah marketers or you know mar- marketer and yeah.
1: propagandists or
0: yeah logos and slogans are experts at this yeah
1: exactly and 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 it, and especially for virals, eliciting a really powerful like emotional mm. arousal, so um kind of fear, funny, sexy cute mm-hmm. like one of those four things really um and then and then seeding is basically a, a bit more hidden I think to most people um but that's kind of you understand how networks work and you kind of work out okay well if I put the the viral the would-be viral in at that person and that person and that person and that person then given the the kind of network kind of structure Mm. I'm giving it the best possible chance of spreading.
0: So the use of influencers as well as the use of like knowledge of the algorithms and the systems of like when to post it and, and where the nodes, where the super spreader information nodes are in the system.
1: Yeah, and, and, and often like quite kind of like not necessarily like huge, booming, like A-list megastars. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's often what people think of when they think of influencers, but but quite often like micro-influencers, a lot of these studios told me are really important. So, you know, uh, it's, it's actually it, microbrewery, your, your, your viral soft launch of your new microbrewery actually involves you getting, you know, 15 of, you know, the, the, the most kind of popular microbrewer bloggers in the country to all just do something at the same time. You know, and they might only have ten or twenty thousand followers, and it's certainly certainly not kind of Rihanna levels. Mm. Um, But um but that can really cause a com- ignite a community with with kind of you know an emotion that you want probably
0: more so than the Rihanna one, I guess, which I'm sure they're aware of in the sense that once someone gets a certain level of power, then there starts to become a certain level of critique or around their genuineness, right? So it seems more real when it's coming from the micro-influencer. And the real influence, like, oh, they're probably getting paid for it. And it's like, well, I mean, anyways. um, But it's an interesting... yeah, what of this democ- democracy and democratization? Because, you know, we talk about the internet, it's, it's being, you know, it's championed as a platform in terms of access that it democratized uh, uh, media platforms for so many, they could have a voice, you could speak directly to someone famous, you could be retweeted by the president. But of course we see that uh, democracy is in a crisis. What are the connections there? And, and you know, how is our relationship with democracy changing in terms of big conceptual understandings of democracy, as well as like the disrupting of the actual democratic process around the world.
1: Yeah, gosh, I mean, what a, what a simmering cauldron uh, of different influences and factors there for us to unpack. Um, one of the most, obviously the most important questions we've been trying to deal with for mm. coming on to a decade now has exactly been this question of democracy in tech. Let's begin in 2012, very briefly, um when kind of we were all like very naively and i say we i mean really i and lots of other writers mm. uh, were cheering as to Square filled with people that we were convinced were there because of facebook and we thought that um the democratization of voices would literally make aut- autocracies outmoded that was the kind of that that, that was the strength of feeling then um I think what was really happening was something much more subtle than that and and far less kind of morally unambiguous. Social media and the internet had essentially toppled the barriers to entry into mass mobilisation and mass communications. And what that meant was that protest became much, much easier. So previously, to mobilise a genuine mass revolution... Or a mass movement of any kind, you required big hierarchical organizations. I mean, a lot of the kind of testimonies from people involved in the kind of 1960s civil rights movements in the in the states will tell you like how much actual professional organizing was involved in all of that. You know, that people booked lots of buses to take people to, you know, to hear Martin Luther King speak. You know, there were rooms full of professional organizers that would would do all this kind of thing. Um, and then suddenly with the Arab Spring, we we were realizing that what used to be difficult and time-consuming and expensive was in fact now much cheaper and easier to do. What we didn't realize was that that was going to benefit mobilizations and political mobilizations across the entire political spectrum and across the entire world. So of course there was going to be pro-democracy activists in Egypt, but there was also going to be radical Islamists in Egypt. There was going to be um, anti-corruption activists in Poland, but then also ultra-nationalists in Poland. There was going to be um, the Me Too movement, but there was also going to be a radical manosphere counter-reaction to that. Um, and all of them would kind of each benefit from the same self-same talks. Like, it, there wasn't a, a political... Segment that we could lift out and say they are going to be the people that are going to benefit from digital mobilisation, and in many ways, from Tawir Square to what we saw um, in the capital right just a few days ago, I think is the full circle um, of of that happening. So from there being a pro democracy revolution to there being a revolution literally invading the you know the 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 beating heart of a democracy using this basically the same tools of digital mobilization I mean and that that's that kind of loop closing and 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 kind of really like the 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 only real group that hasn't benefited from this has been the kind of mainstream because they were the people that always had access to those expensive and difficult you know, channels of mass communication and mass organisation. You know, if it feels like the mainstream is under attack from everything that isn't itself, it's because it is, literally because of this mobilisation that can now happen. Mm. So that's that's what's happening now. Um, and I think, like, democracy, insofar as it is part of that mainstream, is really shaking because now it's um, very, very easy to mobilise and protest against anything that you don't like. Mm. I think the future strength of democracy is going to really be based on quite a different question, though, which is... Not can we use digital tools to mobilise and protest, but can we actually use digital tools to come together in a consensus? Um, that's going to be the kind of big new question. Mm-hmm. Because it will be consensuses that democracies need to make decisions or any political system needs really to make decisions. And um, it, will, it will be that question which basically will determine whether we move towards a digital form of democracy as well, not just of protest, but of actual democratic decision makings and formal uses of political power within democracies and i'm pretty optimistic um i went to taiwan i did a documentary uh, on the digital democrats of taiwan for the bbc and i, I came back really thinking that there was an amazing example of people that have genuinely found ways of finding consensus using digital tools mm. um it's an amazing it's an amazing undertaking and now they are you know dozens of times they have created now you know um new regulations and laws on the basis of digital democratic processes so i think there's a lot that the rest of the world now has to learn from places like taiwan not only in the way that they're dealing with the you know the pandemic but but there's there's much there especially the use of technology actually but but also um also now about kind of connecting um, democratic decision making with exactly the technology well not exactly the technologies mm. not Twitter and Facebook actually, but actually quite different technologies but but it, it, exactly the same kind of like you know like enthusiasm that we have for doing politics online that at the moment is kind of really undermining mm-hmm. democratic institutions themselves.
0: Interesting. Yes. You talk about some very interesting, like about the representational politics as being kind of a thing of the past and also the stock having gone down on that for quite some time in the sense that the, the electorate uh, it has almost been boycotting this this inferior product um, as they kind of see. And I have to say when I sometimes when I read techno solutionist stuff and get really excited about, you know, I always like I'm, I'm a total extremist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I must be a product of my times. Um, I mean, I, I the only thing I don't have is ambivalence towards, you know, I'm either like extremely excited about the possibilities or I'm like <laughs> cowering in a corner being like, we're all going to die.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: so um, and I love I, you know, I love uh, what you present uh, in terms of and I want to get a little bit more into that uh, when we talk about some of the solutions in terms of. um blockchain and some of the possibilities of different uh, uh decentralized uh power systems but you talk um about you know how we've always had these kind of practical concerns of democracy we need kind of parliamentary parliamentary representation and that potentially with these with these technological things we could um have our vote like literally i mean anybody who's been involved in a monochrome of community activism and 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 organizing knows that you know election day is not the beginning nor end of it and that there's like so much work that you know that you have to keep that a democracy takes work um and what i love to vote uh over my coffee in the morning with a like um (laughs) instead of uh instead of that whole process or as you suggest even um give my 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 vote uh on you know housing or or whatever to to organizations that i respect and um
1: right and and the the thing that's i think most exciting about that is that um is that as soon as you don't see democracy as being a series of like baked in institutions and processes that i mean in the in the uk basically descend back to the 17th century Mm. you you know the lid comes off and and what you just said that you know the giving of votes you know that's a that's liquid democracy you know and it's just one of like a whole rainbow of different new constitutional settlements that we might now arrive at mm. that that to me is is more than the technology that was being used or the you know um uh, uh, kind of platforms that were being deployed or anything like that that was the most empowering mm. kind of idea that i took from taiwan's um kind of uh, experiments of digital democracy is the idea that democracy in its very basic form, is a living, breathing piece of social technology in many ways, and that you can change it and you can improve it. Mm. You know, that is like, especially for democracies kind of adult, as old as the UK, that's such a difficult idea to ever really kind of ha- find any kind of traction with. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, any change to democratic institutions is, is considered so threatening. To me, I think that honestly like the kind of like the survival and renewal of democracy like is predicated really on that idea at some point really hitting home and us beginning to experiment with doing democracy in different ways liquid um, direct um you know online offline or you know strange new decentralized kind of forms of it as well, whatever whatever we choose. But there's a hundred different things we might do now.
0: Well, yeah, and I don't know what the ballot is like. My mom's American, so I know that the ballot in the states compared to Canada, like Canada's very simplified and you're it's very representational, you know, and it's very like you vote for the local person and that then, then they get enough seats and blah, blah, blah. Whereas the states, like they vote on like some very specific things. Unfortunately, it becomes completely inaccessible. They're like these like books like this, and you're voting on bill this, and then a bunch of information, you know, disinformation campaigns are used so that you're confused about is voting no on 230 good or bad you know what i mean so that you so you get to this like semantic place where you're like you have no longer an idea <laughs> of what you're actually putting in, into those nuances so i'm sure that there's whole there's you know there's other issues but that's, a, that's for another day. But it's it's exciting to think, absolutely, that we could use technology and our own creative and, and critical thinking in uh, exploring different ways if this isn't working for us. And if nobody's buying into it anymore, it certainly doesn't work if nobody's buying into it by definition, right? The democracy has to have the the people involved. Um, and and you know you talk about like a you know f- the the power shifts of course um uh you know again we see these these platforms as providing the average citizen like like empowerment you know uh, empowering voices and empowering people's movements um but perhaps that's the new grand illusion no instead of the illusion of choice we've it's been replaced with the illusion of power perhaps um cat so Katarina I spoke to um, earlier in this series uh, talks about some of the three ways of addressing uh, deep fakes um, legislation regulation um so the law uh, techno solutionism um, and media literacy uh, I wanted to talk about each one of those with you uh, respectively what, what kind of regulation practices and policies are, are you be, seeing being being implemented that, that are working or, or, or ones that are getting it wrong as well?
1: I, I mean, look, the, the complaint from so, so much of the kind of digital policy community for years has been there's not enough digital policy and there's not enough law. Uh, and we haven't seen kind of democracies kind of assert control over online worlds, which certainly are influencing them in important ways um there just is there just isn't enough control of any of this you know all the way from like you know um electoral legislation around exactly what you can and can't do online say or not say online exactly what are the responsibilities of the platforms in all of this and platform governance consumer rights legislation is 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 uh, you know is 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 a decade obsolete um we haven't even spoken about monopolies but of course that's extremely important too um so there's, there's 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 just so there's so much kind of um, kind of renewal of the existing regulatory and legislative frameworks that we have that are needed in order to make them speak to the problems that we're currently mm. seeing, um, uh, and they're not moving quickly enough. That's the that's the kind of underlying kind of basic problem with all of this. I mean, I think without a pandemic, this would have been the year of digital regulation. Right. Um, governments are re- really shaping up to it. Um, we're seeing lots and lots of processes. Um, kind of kicking off to do it um, and you know every time there's like a US presidential election it kind of gets renewed enthusiasm um, for a while at least um, so that's complaint number one um, but kind of underlying that I'm not quite sure that the, the I would call it techno-solutionism but, but what I do see is kind of a lot of these questions basically being determined by like dueling technologies. Hmm. You know, whether it's like, say, privacy, or whether it's going to be like what controls what fundamentally controls the services that we use? Is it a network? Or is it a company? Or or um, what what information can a government access? A lot of these are really, you know, the people really at the core of them kind of see both the courts and public opinion, I think, as a bit of a sideshow. Mm. Almost every year, DEFCON happens, which is this huge convention of hackers. And it's really there that I think you see a lot of what's really going to determine the outcomes, where there are some people working on privacy tech, some people working on surveillance tech. And really, the question is, which of those two dueling, dueling kind of like technology trajectories is going to triumph over the other one. Like, you know, when Apple years ago now was in dispute with the US government over whether the government could get data from its phones, Mm. Um, it was, if you remember the San Bernardino attack, a terrorist, horrible terrorist attack in the States and the Mm. attacker had a phone recovered from him um, and um, the government the fbi couldn't access it you know at the same time as the apple fighting all of that in the courts what it was really doing was baking in encryption into all its devices so that not even it could get the information from an apple phone mm. so dueling technology is going to determine a lot of this um that's a lot where a lot of where power sits i think is in small highly sophisticated very mm. motivated and well capitalized Developer teams um, that 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 build the technologies on either, either side of this equation, um, and obviously the kind of bit the slight worry is that these are very closed, opaque processes to almost all of us. Like we don't really have much of an opportunity to kind of influence like what technology is built on our behalf, uh, and therefore what is made possible or impossible by that technology. Um, and that that's kind of like one of the the more kind of uh, d de- the kind of uh disempowering, I suppose, kind of like kind of conclusions I took from from my book and kind of going around thinking about power for 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 so long was 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 basically that I saw a lot of those questions really being determined by these small teams. And and outside of public debate, conversations, democratic decision making, it just felt like, you know, the the broad mass of voters and 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 kind of um, just voices of people that that want to have something to do with this, like just feel very shut out from mm. it.
0: Yeah, and definitely, I think as an as an as an educator um, with a media literacy focus, like for me, that that seems like the 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 only antidote. But again, I mean, it's kind of impossible to stay to to, to keep up, right? But um, but I mean, in the sense that it's like, okay, so how can we? you know, pull back the curtain. How can we understand how these things are constructed? Now, they're getting better and better. So, I mean, (laughs) I don't know how you would, you know, there was a a a, a study done a little while ago from... I want to say the guardian but it could have been wired um where they actually created like the 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 their own you know kind of adversarial network of uh of trying to identify so it was an ai identifying on the synthetic media what was but i mean again there was there were some mistakes on the eyes here and an ear there or whatever but we can't rely on kind of you know, um, a where's Waldo solution to it because it it very quickly, it will, it will get, it will be, you know, seamless. But I tend to think, you know, yeah, the only, the only way to arm ourselves is to, to really understand um, how, how these things are constructed. And, and, but you, you present some, some, you know, much, much more interesting and, and, very uh well known to media literacy vernacular um uh tools as well which are to you know slow down triangulate um sources and you talk about the importance of kind of adding some of the friction uh and barriers mm. back into our relationship
1: yeah with these systems yeah probably the main thing that that I kind of wanted to do there was to try and like introduce a kind of a body of um language which which wasn't just about kind of the a kind of rationalist way in which we like receive information but also kind of spoke to the kind of emotional kind of substrate because so much of the kind of the way in which manipulation happens and the thinking that influence operators have really is about the the emotional effects and whether you know you're a viral advertiser or you're working for russia um i think that um that's really kind of the, the the majority of your tradecraft is really around changing the way that people feel really rather than um, what they think. Um I remember very very vividly um a person who I was interviewing um who, who did this kind of thing um said to me Carl we we don't try and change people's minds by giving them facts which they you know which are lies. Mm. He says, we try and make people angrier about things that they already believe in. Mm. You know, that's how manipulation happens. And then we try and steer that outrage in certain ways. And that makes a lot of sense. And it, it explains why, for instance, when we dissect a Iranian or Chinese or Russian influence network online, we see that they're sitting on both sides of the political spectrum they both try and inf- infiltrate Black Lives Matter, and they try and infiltrate uh, the alt right, and then they feed both of them more and more information, making them angrier and anger about what the other side is doing. So, kind of in response to that, kind of I, I, the the kind of like you know provisos I was trying to put in were things like kind of gu- guard against outrage. You know, know that this is the easiest way of manipulating you online. Mm. You know, know that um, it's when you're nodding your head in agreement of something that is when you are also most vulnerable. You know, it's that is going to be when your your behavior is being molded. It's it's not when your your mind is being changed as a result of this new amazing fact that you you're not kind of equipped to, you know, know is false has suddenly fallen fall into your timeline. That's not how human beings
0: work. Yeah, know thine self uh, and what and what some of the what some of the things are, and that's such a like that's such a difficult process. I mean, that's such a long process. I I feel like I, I had I saw something the other day that was. Uh, uh, save the children on Instagram came up and like you know it was like a bunch of like young brown and black women who would, who it supposedly from this like screenshot had been you know saved from a sex, whatever ring or whatever. And it immediately, <laughs> like, yeah, I immediately wanted to be like, yeah, like, you know, like save children, you
1: know, You know, young women who of color are that? most
0: vulnerable. Yeah. And, and it was that nodding moment. Luckily I had enough skills. I mean, I, but I, I think about this and teach this like for 15 years. <laughs> so it's a little, you know, that's a lot. Like people can't dedicate their lives to media literacy to be able to navigate the day-to-day, uh, you know, social environments. Yeah. But um, luckily, yeah, it was exactly because it, Got me right in the right place, and I was like, "You suspect," um, and and went and looked up, and immediately found that, if, of course, it was uh, you know, it's completely. Um, is is there a way for us to 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 embed the right behaviors and values? Um, in young people, in the beginnings, in the inceptions uh, of these of new technologies, the beginning of the algorithm before it's before it's at the at the point of exponentials or whatever. And we go, hey, we don't like the attitudes. It's it's, uh, you know, uh, proliferating. Like, is there, you know, or, or does it always is it always co-opted and corrupted by nefarious forces who just want to watch the world burn or who benefit because you know people will say well well why would you think that this thing is a conspiracy theorist or these people are obviously that like they have no power institutional power like how are they working together and i'm like no they're just grifters they just benefit from you making a rational decision like so many people benefit from from that um but i can see how people could think no like governments are (laughs) are conspiring you know what i mean like those are that's where the power is um how can you say that the unemployed you know angry racist like in the next town over somehow has a comparable power you know but for somehow they are you know massively affecting just our relationship with with all things like with 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 truth in general um are there ways that we can guard these very persuasive tools and make sure to to put them to arm and level up the skill levels of, of those most vulnerable uh, to these media manipulations yeah. by the bad it's, people? It's, in
1: it's, it's a great question. And, you know, I, I I don't I actually ultimately don't think it could be left up to each of us as individuals just to kind of guard ourselves, because mm. um, I mean, look, the problem is we don't want to, to guard ourselves it's it's like it's people it's like someone shouting free beer and everyone's like well i like free beer like we 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 want to get outraged about things that we find outrageous like and we we want to get angry about things we find deeply unjust um you know it's it's unbelievably difficult to begin to kind of like you know uh, confront those like fundamental human drivers um I think ultimately it's going to be a bit of a mixture, isn't it? Like, in p- partly, it's it, 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 we have to bake these kinds of things into um, education, both formal and informal that we do. I frankly think, Karen, that you know you, you, the work of you and people like you should be funded by the defence budget and kind of scaled up enormously. Hmm. Um, I honestly think that this is a question of national security and the resources of the state. Um, for national security should be deployed in things like this. We need far mm. more librarians and digital literacy educators and philosophers now um, to kind of, you know, uh, increase the resilience of our own populations. But then partly this is going to sit with the platforms. And one of the problems here is that it is the, the, the platforms have been built exactly to, and I don't use this word lightly, exploit the cognitive biases that we have, that we've just been talking about, in order to keep you on the platform, like they're engaged in this war for eyeballs, and a lot of what they have done is design themselves to um, serve up information which they think will keep you there, mm. uh, which turns out often to be information which it causes the emotional arousals that we've been talking about, and that you know is the window through which manipulation often happens Mm. a lot of what they're going to have to do is tweak the underlying platform mechanics in different ways probably to step away from this kind of attentional conflict that they're in this attentional race and Mm. slow down information make it travel less virally across the internet give us pause before we share things force us to pause um lots of little things like that they can probably do and i think they probably will do in the in the years ahead i think you know if nothing else pandemic and the election we've just seen in the states have been pretty gruesome wake-up calls to the online platforms that they were not set up to deal with this properly mm.
0: there's definitely a raise in awareness hopefully the funding is to follow yeah. to, from your from your from your lips to, <laughs> to, to, to the funders ears because yeah it's definitely some important qualities um is that critical thinking, the slowing down, I think that's a really big one. And you, you know, you talked about how much easier it is to upload something than it is to take it down, and just how much we need to add some some slowness to the, you know, like a, the complaint is always that these, these systems, this, the school system in particular, is incredibly archaic and slow to move. And, and and you know, maybe we should just abandon it as some of the technology arguments, pro-technology arguments, but it's got all the ethics and values that we want to bake in to the things that we're making, which are, yeah, slow thoughtfulness, um, even group rules like agreements. I don't know how it is in the UK, but here you can't, you know, you can't do a workshop even at a corporation, let alone um, a school classroom without talking about group agreements, posting it, you know, talking about safe, safe space and these kinds of things that seem to just and then the rest of our life online you know it's 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 not there that conversation is not happening there you know what is the role of the arts and art and the artist in all of this because that's really what I explore with young people or arts and culture um
1: to reimagine all of this for us like you know we, we can talk about tech and data till the cows come home but we also just need imaginations to soar into new spaces um to reconceive of what it means to be human which both you know doesn't accept the current state of things but also isn't clawing back into the past you know we need a kind of brave reimagining of 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 humanity really uh and i think that probably art more than any other Discipline can begin to do that for us
0: in media literacy education. I mean, you talked about how important it is. Where do we start? Is there is there a discipline? Is there an entry point? Is there a subject matter? I mean, you seem to think like security, like just national security, which I think is a is a, is an interesting um, uh, part of the discussion that that other folks didn't flag. You know, from your from your perspective, in terms of like it's an actual immediate safety issue. Like we actually need to be armed with these critical thinking skills etc right yeah
1: i mean i think it's um i i I, it kind of informational defense you know i mean like i i think it's the only informational defense that we can currently think of which seems to be kind of individually empowering and not kind of fundamentally you know shredding the kind of balances that we have around the state and a free press and the military and the information that we see so um i i mean for me i'd begin that the risk of militarizing your profession karen i don't want to do that but but i would I would, I kind of, I would certainly, I would certainly begin to look at these kinds of things, you know, as one of the almost like the vaccination for for all of these kinds of pursuits. But then, um, I think, I, but I, I think literacy itself also, just to, as a final concluding thought, kind of also do, really does need to kind of not simply be a, have a kind of rational actor paradigm of information and literacy and reception and reaction. Um, I do think that there's a lot here to do with identity and belonging. Um, and emotion and feeling and kinship and family Um, you know and that's a lot of the story here when we when we talk about online manipulation Uh, and I think kind of uh, there surely therefore has to kind of be a almost like a new literacy which kind of begins to gather up those other parts of us of of humanity really and and you know um, thread that in as part of the story of why we believe certain things and why we react to certain information the way that we do
0: mm, amazing well thank you carl thanks so much for talking to me today thanks
1: i really enjoyed that yeah what a great conversation thank you very much karen
0: and thanks to those who listen to this episode for more on the topic of synthetic media listen to the podcast extra for this episode where carl and i discuss blockchain technology as a means for combating deep fakes until then stay creative and do be artists